So glad, glad I found you. So glad for this day. So glad for this moment, right here, right now. So glad, glad it's simple. So glad we're all alright. So glad for these little things. Okay, hello everyone. Welcome to the Soulful Self Care Sessions. Today I'm with my friend Allison Tepper. Allison, say hello. Hello, everyone. Um, Allison is, I don't even remember how we originally connected because I think there was so much overlap. <laughs> yeah. out, like so many people in common and so many me too, me too, me too, that I don't remember the root story, but essentially we found our way to each other and found um, a lot of similarities in philosophy around food and eating and nutrition and integrating spiritual practices within that context. So mindfulness and, um, and our love of intuitive eating and intuitive eating principles. And uh, it's been really fun. We've done a workshop together and hosted a retreat together. Um, we'll be doing the second annual um, Nourish Your Year, Nourish Your Life retreat, which last year we called it the Mindful mindful eating, right? Yeah, mindful um, eating and mindful yoga. Yeah, and it, feel, mm -hmm. it felt like since we're doing it at the start of the year, we really wanted to set that intention for the year around nourishment because mm -hmm. I think both Al and I have moved in that direction, continue to move more in the nourish direction um, because you just finished your yoga teacher training, right? I did, which was amazing. Yeah, Congrats. it feels great. Thank you. Mm. And everyone who listens to this knows I'm obsessed with Ayurveda. And so more and more and more, I get that nourishment and those roots of nourishment. So changing that up a little bit this year, but I wanted Al to come on and talk a little bit about um, her practice, her work, and this amazing conference she just got back to, from. So welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Yay. Okay. So tell everyone who your main clients are, what you do for a living, <laughs> mm -hmm. and uh, who you help and what you help them with. All right. Well, again, thank you so much for having me today, Pleasant. It's yeah, always great to chat. And so my practice is based off of a philosophy in my, of mindful and intuitive eating. So I will see clients with different disease states, you know, heart disease, IBS, PCOS, a range, but I always integrate the idea of mindful eating, intuitive eating, and paying attention to your body's cues. So I would say the majority of my clients are people who have kind of been on this diet cycle for a long time mm. where they go on a diet and they lose weight and then they gain it back and then they have to go on another and they're just frustrated. And so mindful eating kind of offers this different approach of just saying no to diets and then instead focusing on how your body feels and listening to your cues that your body's giving to you. So it's been wonderful. I got certified in intuitive eating in 2013. And so because of that, I'll work with a lot of clients with eating disorders as well, since it's a big component of that. And then, yes, I got my yoga teacher training certification this summer because even though we talk about food and that is so key, a huge piece of it for most people is stress and emotional eating. And there's a lot just kind of going on underneath. So the YTT was really helpful in just 
allowing me to focus on meditation and other tools that can help people reduce their stress, which can help so much with nutrition and overall health. So it's a great combination, which has been fun. <clears throat> okay. So I actually forgot to do something that I really wanted to do and something you just mentioned about the eating disorders. I want to start our, like, our conversation with a sort of warning or a disclaimer that if you've had an eating disorder or you're currently really struggling with um, some kind of challenge with food and eating and body image, that I highly recommend you go see a professional. <laughs> um, I want to say that this podcast will support uh, you from the work that we do, but there is nothing like having that one-on-one -on -one when you are mm -hmm. currently in um, a sort of a, a state, I would say. Um, mm -hmm. yeah, and great point. only you know that. So if you're hearing this or you started to listen and your heart is racing or your palms are really sweaty, and it's not um, feeling good, like you're feeling uh, full of anxiety or fear, why don't you pause it and go get some help and then come back and listen? Is that fair? Does that feel yeah. like fair? Great point. I'm glad you mentioned that. Definitely. You know, mindful eating is a part of that recovery process, but there's so many different pieces and yeah, having professional help with that and having a team in place is, is key. Well, and we're like, again, I, I sometimes forget I'm, I can be really direct and uh, because I'm always full of so many questions about things that I can sometimes bypass the trauma or the struggling or the triggering that's happening for people. And this is an area where I sort of, because I, I personally did not have like a diagnosed eating disorder and I personally have not really suffered from body image issues. Like I have a very normal um, oh, these pants don't fit. Oh, I wish it was less, blah, blah, all that, all that kind of stuff, which maybe mm -hmm. that is too disordered, <laughs> but you know, sort of in the good, better, best. I feel like I've been in the middle realm of like, it's not too much. And what I noticed over the past few years, because of this work that we're doing together and because of, uh, going to the school for integrative nutrition is sometimes I can talk about it, not very compassionately, just because mm -hmm. I haven't had my own triggering. And so Sometimes I notice that other people may start crying or pull away and I'm sort of insensitive because I just want to get to the root of the problem. Mm -hmm. And I can do this with a lot of areas because I, I really like that sort of investigative sociologist viewpoint. And I just want to say that I, I realize now so many years later how triggering this topic can be and I don't want to make this seem light or easy or like Allison and Pleasants have all the answers and now you'll be cured. Like, no, 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 no. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. No, I'm so glad you mentioned that. And I think also too, when you are a practitioner, you work with a lot of people and you get really excited for them and you've seen positive changes that, you know, you have to step back and say, okay, where is this person in their journey? And that's just yeah. always practicing. So and we've dealt with so many people who've had so many that you become, I don't want to say numb to it, but you sort of say, oh yeah, this is normal. This yeah. is normal. And I don't want to like take away anyone's um, lived experience. So Absolutely. Okay. So tell me about the conference you went to. And the main mm -hmm. questions that I have for you about this are, you've gone in years past. What are the trends? What are the shifts? What are the changes? What are you noticing around the diet industry and the wellness industry and body image? <laughs> yeah, great question. So I would say, yeah, so I went to the Food and Nutrition Conference and Expo 
last weekend now. And it's the yearly dietetics conference that is hosted for dietitians in the area um, or across the country and even the world. It's 11,000 dietitians that come in for this conference every year. So, you know, there are a lot of trends. Now, my, my focus is a little bit narrowed as to what I'm interested in. Mm-hmm. So you're going to get presentations on all various topics when it comes to nutrition fields. So there's school nutrition and clinical nutrition, and mm. there's so many different things that you can choose from. But I will say that what I focused on, but also what really kind of came into more fruition this year in the past couple of years is the idea of mindful and intuitive eating mm. um, and how that fits into nutrition in general. So I did a presentation this year on mindfulness in medical nutrition therapy. So in our schooling as dietitians, it's very clinical. You know, here's the diagnosis and here's exactly what this person needs to eat. And this is the prescription for it. And that's kind of it. But we are learning a lot more now. And of course, there is that huge psychological aspect of all of this that wasn't really discussed as much. We took maybe a psychology class and I learned a little bit about intuitive eating in school, but it really wasn't the focus. And so I think the conversation is about that a lot more now. So my presentation was a piece of it, but then there were so many others that mirrored it or even you know went beyond. And there was actually this year, there was two debates in the sessions, which has never happened before. <laughs> so this was the first year for that, which I think was really showing just kind of what's happening now, where there are differences in how people are approaching food and there needs to be a conversation around it. So one of the conversations was around intermittent fasting. And then the other one was the difference between conventional nutrition recommendations and then health at every size, Mm. um, which is the idea that, you know, people can be healthy at every size. And so how do we support them and kind of end that shaming and, you know, negative talk that's been going on around body image so both really interesting conversations to have. And so the fact that they were having them this year was huge in just the direction that we're going in with just bringing awareness to all of this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what did you learn or like, what was interesting? Like, was there anything that you were like, whoa, that I really learned something new or deepened your understanding of some of these changes or shifts? I think that really it's, there's a lot of work to be done. So nutrition is a young science. You know, we started doing research in in the early 1900s and new information continues to come out. Um, And so there's, it's just interesting to kind of see that we are still learning as we're going. You know, a lot of things, we want that definitive answer. And when it comes to food, it's just not really there yet. But also it's because everyone is so individual. And so I think that a lot of it is just about, okay, there's different ways of going about this for each person, but we want to make sure that it is rooted in science because there were some conversations that were being had that, you know, the research just wasn't really there long-term to show the long-term effects of everything. So we want to maybe say, okay, if, if the research isn't there, we can't say that this has been going on for years and years and we've seen results, then maybe we need to find a different approach. Um, I will say I only made it to a couple of sessions. I went to the debate because I thought that it was, it was mm-hmm. a huge one, you know, but I think it was just kind of interesting to see still the dichotomy and just the different viewpoints. And, you know, we still have work to do in terms of how we move forward with all of that, but it was what interesting. You, yeah. What do you feel like in the past, a lot of the topics, were they more clinical and science-based 
always. Mm -hmm. And then this year you saw some new things being added in or kind of give the little bit of the historical perspective. Yeah. So I think that in the beginning, when I first was starting to go, you know, maybe eight or nine years ago, it was, it was very similar to what we would learn in our school. So we would have Mm -hmm. like community nutrition talks and talks on clinical nutrition and, you know, the research that's been done on different disease states and, you know, nutrition formulas and things like that. And I would say that as mindfulness and as different ways of approaching it have become more popular than in the past, probably the past couple of years, I would say. I want to say that maybe like three or four years ago was when I started noticing more of the mindfulness talks starting. Um, So it is a fairly recent shift, even though people have been kind of trying to work in this way for several years now. Mm -hmm. Um, Okay. So let's talk about your, anything else you want to say from the conference that really struck you? Well, I would say that if people are interested in learning more about healthy at every size, there's a lot of information about there. It's the acronym for it is HAES, H-A-E-S. And it's, it's something that is a little bit controversial in some ways, but I think it's, it's something worth exploring. It really kind of talks about the idea that, you know, we have to make a change in our approach to how we talk to people about their bodies and about food and that it needs to be more of like an understanding approach and kind of taking the whole person into perspective and mm-hmm. their whole life into account. Um, so I think it's worth exploring a little bit, um, but I'm still kind of learning about it myself in some ways. So I think, I, to- I think we talked about this in the retreat last year because mm-hmm. um, Anna Guest Jelly, who's been on the podcast, she's my best friend. She um, was on episode one interviewing me because I was too nervous to get on by myself. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> Which was great, by the way. <laughs> She's the best. Uh, Anna, help me. Um, uh, I've learned so much about <clears throat> about the health at every size movement through Anna's mm-hmm. work and curvy yogi, curvy yoga, and her language and experience and uh, body awareness and compassion. And mm-hmm. uh, it's really, I think it's taking me time because I'm so ingrained in society that thin is healthy. Like this Mm -hmm. is not true. I'm saying right now, this is disclaimer. This, I do not believe this to be true. However, I spent the first 38 years of my life or 35 years of my life hearing this. Right. And so I'm like, oh, oh, oh. Like every time I sort of look at the different areas of lifestyle and I look at um, different uh, body shapes and sizes, I have a lot of friends who are very healthy in mind, body, and soul and are not a size four or a six. Exactly. Or an eight, if that even matters. And so expanding my awareness, expanding my definition, my understanding um, is just giving me a lot to think about. And the Hayes site and thinking about health at every size has really helped because along with all these other areas of social justice and and uh the models for what we are looking at the the people who represent health um not bringing in other cultures not bringing Mm -hmm. in other body types not you know the thing that broke my heart at little ohm was the moms not the moms but moms who'd come in after having one two three four babies and then say things to me like, I want my body back. Mm-hmm. And I heard that so much. And eventually, 
I really did a lot of journaling and thinking and talking with women about this. Like it hurt my heart because that wanting to go back really demonstrates a lack of current acceptance and or love or value or um, acknowledgement of who we are in this moment. Yes, 100%. And that's exactly what the focus is with it. Yeah. And so I'm glad that you shared all that in that your own experience with a little only what you were seeing. And that is so much of what I'm working with with clients as well, is yeah. that the only constant in life is that your body changes and that things change, you know? Yeah. And so it's really kind of helping people understand, you know, that that's okay. And it, there's an acceptance piece. And even if, you know, we're talking about a lot about like body love and yeah. you know, loving yourself, but even if I'm just helping people get to like a, a body neutrality sometimes, because there is so much, kind yeah. of like you said, where you just grow up hearing all that, yeah. we are so ingrained. And so it's kind of just helping people take those little steps to accepting themselves. And it's that radical self-love, right? Mm -hmm. And like, here's the thing. It's a commitment every day, meaning it's not like you turn a light switch and now it's easy, right? So like in all the other ways that I'm shifting a lens or looking at self-compassion as sort of the, the deepest core value that ignites daily living is that then when Milo grabs my belly, right? I've talked about this before. He calls me big mama. And when he grabs my belly, he's like, big mama, you're so fat. You know, he does this. And I grab, and I'll say to him, Milo, like you lived in here. Like, I, mm. I'm like, do you understand how beautiful this home? When I look at it as the home for my babies, oh man, like give me it's all the huge. fat in the world. Like, <laughs> I just want to rub it. I just want to like be back there. I just want to touch it. I'm just like, oh my God. And, um, because I just really honor that relationship. Yeah. That is very, 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 very different than another scenario that also happens in my life. Although actually it's going to stop because I got rid of them, but my pre-mom genes, how many of people are listening to this? Know what I'm talking about. You have a whole stack of them. They're hidden away because you can't fit in them and you hope one day you will. And you try to put them on and then you can't get them over your tushy or your muffin top or all your parts. And you're like, come on, you know? So like, I actually have lived the past mile of seven. So seven and a half years fluctuating between those two worlds. I just want to be really honest. It's Mm -hmm. both. Mm -hmm. Is that there are days and moments when he can touch me and he can be close to me and we can have a conversation about body size and boobs and feeding babies and softness and growth, all of that in a really natural way. And then I also have shameful moments in a closet with those old jeans and them not fitting and, and that feeling that pain. And so everyone will be very happy to know that I finally, finally, two weeks ago, got up on a Saturday morning, went to Orange Theory, sweated, lifted my weights, felt awesome, walked into the closet, grabbed the eight pairs of jeans and drove them (laughs) directly to a consignment shop. I didn't even ask for money. I dropped all my fancy jeans. Like I have, I had a jean, a fancy jean addiction before I had kids. I dropped them all off on the front door of the consignment (laughs) shop and I drove away. The place was not open. I was like, goodbye. I never want to see you again. I'm not going to fit into you. And I don't even want to because you're way too low. Like you're like, it's just, they're so low. My butt was showing. I mean, Mel was laughing because he goes, what did you just do at 8 a.m. on a Saturday? You had to do it. I was like, I had to get the jeans out of the house. 
And he goes, what jeans? And I told him, he goes, oh, I hated all those jeans. Your butt used to show everywhere we went all the time. Well, see, that's what it is too. The style changes and we need to accept that piece as well. <laughs> that's oh awesome though. Good for you. Oh my God. I just want to be honest about it because I think people have an illusion like, oh, so-and-so's got it all figured out or so-and-so never you know, she doesn't have issues with it. So it's never going to be a thing, but that's not the truth. Like the truth is it feels crappy and I don't even want to wear that style anyway anymore. I want long flowy skirts and funky leggings and like nothing with a button ever. Like (laughs) (laughs) comfort is key. Yes. Oh, yeah. And it's like so cozy. So how did you start getting into this work? Like what drives you every day for your clients and what really propels you to show up and, and sort of teach and talk and work with people? Yeah, I mean, a great question. And so I think that, you know, my experience with food, you know, I, like you said, it's just sometimes, you know, people have different ranges of what they've experienced and, you know, everyone has, has, has a relationship with food. And so I always have loved food and loved talking about it. And I wanted to get into a field that, helped people in some way. Mm. And so I just wasn't sure where it was, but I just knew I loved food. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. I thought, okay, maybe this could be a good combination of how to help people kind of get Mm -hmm. to it. But I think it's really evolved over time, which has been really fun, you know, is kind of going up into the dietitian world and the clinical route, seeing that that was not working for clients that I was working with. It was just, you know, I would give them their nutrition prescription and it just wouldn't work. And so I was really interested in kind of figuring out, okay, how can I help people on a different level? Like what is that component that's missing from what I'm trying to do for people. And that was the emotional piece. And so, you know, I wasn't going to go back to school for a degree in psychology or anything, but um, I thought about it. But so, but, you know, just knowing that I'm, I'm excited to help people just in a different way mm-hmm. where it's not just giving the recommendations for what to eat, but really kind of exploring, okay, what is happening underneath that is driving your food choices? Mm-hmm. Because for the most part, you know, it's a lot of people, especially in our area in DC, it's people know what to eat or have knowledge around that. Mm-hmm. And so what's, what are the barriers though? What's making it difficult? And so I really love just getting to know people and learning a little bit more about, okay, what is it that's driving these choices? So it, it gets into a piece of just developing a relationship with clients, which is different than just kind of when you say, here's what you need to be eating. It's okay. Let's learn a little bit more about your life and your stressors and things that are coming up for you. Yeah. Um, and so I love just having, giving people a different approach of looking at it. If they're tired of the dieting, this is just a different way to, to work through it. And I'm, I get excited when people want that different way to look mm-hmm. into it and they're ready to ditch the dieting. <laughs> yeah. Cause it's more of lifestyle. Like I just don't see a lot of diet culture really talking about the lifestyle shifts and changes and, you know, I'm really underneath everything obsessed with mindset, um, which I talk about in terms of law of attraction, but it's also very much mindset. And uh, those are very um, related to this ongoing relationship. And, you know, a lot of what we teach and Thrive in the Nourish chapter is about, we teach a lot of Janine Roth's work on um, <clears throat> just in terms of like, what's the core hunger? Like, what are you hungry for? right? Women, food, and God. And like looking at when the, okay, so how I'm seeing it now after so many years is really 
when our hearts and our bodies and our dharma, which is our true nature, our work in the world, like what we're showing up for, what we get up every day for, like what our strengths are, what we're here for, when those are being met regularly, um, it's really wonderful to see how some of these other underlying hungers dissolve mm -hmm. without the hunger being the focus, right? So um, does that make sense? It's like yeah. sometimes people come and all they're talking about is their food addiction or food issue. Mm -hmm. But really, just like you're saying and I'm saying is like underneath that, like what's the core? What's at the root of that? Is there discomfort in the marriage? Is there discomfort in the familial relationship, right? The primary caregivers of your, of your life if you're uh, taking care of sick parents or you have a sick child, right? And you're dealing with that and that's so painful. Underneath all of it is a thing that I feel like we're always talking about in Thrive, which is just facing our fears and emotions and being comfortable with discomfort. <laughs> mm -hmm. Exactly. Yep. It's, and it's a journey. And it's, you know, I think sometimes people will get surprised when they call and they're like, I want to learn about nutrition. And then I start asking them questions about everything else going on yeah. in their life. I give that, you know, I, I will let them know before we meet if, you know, we're going to be exploring all different areas of this. So it's not, shouldn't be too surprising. Um, but yeah, there's just, there's so many pieces and food is often a symptom of things that are going on in life, like you were just mentioning. So how can we kind of change the approach and change the way of dealing with stressors and start to bring awareness to all of that? Because a lot of times, especially in our society right now, ugh, with just like how fast everything's moving and just the mindlessness that's going on and the competition and the comparisons, it's, yeah. we're being, we're really disconnected from our bodies. And so a huge piece of it is bringing that awareness and that connectivity back again. Yeah. And how do you do that? Smart. What do you say? How do, how can people do that? Give them like one or two things that you really would love for them to do to be able to cultivate that relationship. Yeah. So I think a big piece of it is just, I always have my clients journal or log their food intake, but not on any app or anything that's counting calories, but more just so they can start to explore where their cravings and food choices are coming from. So writing down what they're eating, but then writing down emotions and thoughts that came up with it. And then also writing down what their hunger and fullness levels are. So they can get a good full picture of what is impacting their food choices day to day and how they're feeling from what they're eating. So I'd say that's a big starting place and we start to explore that. And once we get some good information talking about, okay, this meal was very emotionally driven, what came up for you? Mm -hmm. And so that just kind of starts to bring that awareness to the day and being able to say, okay, this is my trigger. So how do we kind of take steps to work through that? And so steps to work through those types of things would be just kind of even self-care or stress management and that looks really different for each person so I would say that you know we will come up with a list of 10 things that bring joy to the person's life or bring some stress relief so that if they are in those emotional situations they have other tools to go to besides food mm -hmm. because food can be comforting and it's readily available so how can they think outside the box so that would be maybe you know yoga and meditation or you know I have a client who just likes to sew and knit and some people take baths and there's no right or wrong, but finding really what's going to help someone tune into themselves and take care of themselves. Yeah. 
Um, I am just curious too, now that we're kind of getting into it and talking about some of this practical strategies and tips is that I want to ask the question that sort of I'm asking all the time these days in these organizations, it, because you just got back from the conference too, is mm -hmm. was there more <clears throat> awareness or dialogue or discussion this year about race and privilege in terms mm. of health and food and mm. access? That That's a great question. So I didn't attend any sessions where that was discussed necessarily. Okay. It is something that my colleague just touched upon when we were doing our presentation was just how mindful eating and paying attention to food can be utilized in different in different socioeconomic areas and different mm -hmm. races, but it's such an important conversation. I don't know if there was any topic that really focused on it this year, but it's, it is so key because it's, there's a big discrepancy there, as you know. Well, maybe you can host that one next year, Al, yes. and I'll help you. <laughs> we'll bring everything together and we'll go do it. We'll bring along our whole Thrive and little old team and all our people and we'll go say, we need to have these conversations. Perfect. <laughs> it's in Philadelphia next you know? year. So oh, I love Philly. That's great. <laughs> Tell me when I'll show up. Um, I love but that. I do think it's important because again, I'm attending just because I'm part of these amazing, amazing conversations that are happening right now, but I'm always kind of keeping an eye, like who else is invited to this conversation? And mm. are we literally just talking in circles? to the same people or, or are we really opening up the conversation to include all humans because of the same thing around <clears throat> health and diet culture and the foods that are often listed as healthy are very um, not culturally appropriate. I mean, not even culturally appropriate. They're, they're often bland. Like they're boring. They don't have any of the spice and the flavor of our wisdom traditions and our indigenous people and people from around the world. Like I'd love to see a global health, like, like some kind of awesome, you know, like let's talk about delicious, energizing, healthy, vitality, like foods full of vitality that help us in our lives and have it really be from around the world or around all people. I just feel like there's a lot of flavor, literally and figuratively missing from the conversation, right? Because we've been really, I personally, I'm just going to speak for myself, have been in a very um, just bubble about how deep this was running in our culture. So I'm fascinated now that the veil has lifted and I've been really encouraged and, and um, pushed by a lot of my mentors to constantly look for all the ways this has been happening. And so every conversation, everywhere I go now, I'm like, what are we missing? What are we missing? Oh my gosh, we're missing the flavor or we're missing the soul or we're missing other options from around the world that um, other communities have been doing for a long time. You yeah. know, I just want to honor that, you know? Absolutely. And they are, they're talking about that more for sure. Yes. So, um, I didn't get to attend any, but yeah, they will have like different cooking segments yes, at the great. events and they'll talk about, you know, different things that are happening with multi multicultural health. And yeah, there's great. definitely a lot of discussion around it, but I think that, you know, there's a discrepancy between talking about it for, you know, different yeah. levels of income in the populations and then like the availability of the information that mm, may be yes. targeted to that population versus yeah. what other higher socioeconomic status areas, what type of information they are getting. So, yeah. you know, it's, yeah. it, there's a bridge that needs to be capped, but I, there's a lot of good work that's going into it. I mean, especially in the DC area, it's mm -hmm. huge with all the different 
organizations and mm-hmm. nonprofits that are that mm-hmm. are really trying to make a change. The yeah. gas course, like everything else, there's a lot of work to be done. But oh, yes. You. But we're opening the conversation step by step, person by person. Mm-hmm. And that's, exactly. you know, sometimes that's literally what we can do today. Like today, we can have this conversation. We can bring it up. We can be aware. We can move forward. We can teach our children. We can tell our neighbors. Like that's something we can do is mm-hmm. start to have these conversations around, um, some of the structures that have not been serving us, let's say. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what was your presentation about this year? Mindfulness. I wrote it down. Would you say mindful medicine? What was it? So it was mindfulness um, as a critical component of medical nutrition therapy. So oh, MNT, tell us about that. <laughs> yeah. So medical nutrition therapy is what we call our approach to dietetics in terms of, okay, when someone has a diagnosis, so say someone comes in, they have cardiovascular health issues, here's what we recommend. Here's the medical nutrition therapy prescription. Um, But again, that was kind of what I was alluding to with that, okay, sometimes that can just be a handout of like, here's what you need to Mm -hmm. eat now that you've been diagnosed with this condition. Mm -hmm. And so really kind of finding a way to to, you know, make sure that we are talking about, okay, what else is going on here rather mm-hmm. than here's just the food you need to eat. So little things that you can do, because for a lot of dietitians, especially if they're working in the hospitals, they get, you know, five, 10 minutes with a client to tell them what they need to know before they send them on their way. Mm-hmm. So we talked about like a couple little tips that they could even incorporate in that short conversation so that the person can help feel a little bit more supported and not completely overwhelmed. Because for a lot of people, like if someone gets diagnosed with say like type two diabetes or something along those lines, it's a scary diagnosis, first of all. And then sometimes it can seem like such a huge shift in what they're eating that it can be pretty overwhelming. And, you know, you know, there's a lot of emotions that come up with it. So how can we start to incorporate little ways of making the person feel supported Mm-hmm. so that they can begin to make those changes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, okay. So you gave us some good tips for what to do, how to start. Is there anything, you have an audience right now, you have these women who are listening. Is there anything that you really want to make sure that they hear? Great question. <laughs> Everything. Um, so I think it's just so important to know that there's a lot of information, misinformation that's out there about nutrition and health right now. And it really has completely saturated everything in our diet industry and our culture. And so I think it's just so important to start to have these conversations around a different approach to health and wellness that doesn't have to be restrictive or make you feel bad about yourself or, you know, take the joy out of food and cooking. There's there is a different way. And so finding that way can seem like going against, you know, the culture that we live in right now, but it's so freeing and it's amazing. And so I definitely would encourage everyone to start paying attention to what their mindset is around food and what their relationship is with food and their bodies and really start to challenge some of those thoughts that maybe are not serving them or not serving you. And so just kind of finding new ways of looking at food, maybe new communities that talk about food and body image in a different way. Mm -hmm. And, you know, feeling like you can find support, maybe finding a network of people that have that similar approach or are starting to have that conversation. Mm -hmm. And knowing that if someone is kind of stuck in that diet cycle, that there, there are other ways to feel amazingly great about yourself and healthy that don't have to revolve around that. Mm -hmm. 
Can you think of anything that comes to mind that is misinformation that you find over and over that's public that you wish people knew was not right? Like, what are some things? Yeah. Well, so that's a great question. And again, you know, it, every time I talk about it, there are there are going to be opposing. Of course, opinions. of course, right? Um, is there anything you personally? Nobody. I'm just asking. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, the different diet trends that do come out. I mean, Atkins, I think is a great <laughs> example of just different diet trends that have come up that people might yeah. lose weight on in the beginning, but it's not serving them mm. physically or mentally in their and helping them become healthier. Mm. I'd say that, you know, ones right now like that, or would be like the ketogenic diet or mm. intermittent fasting where, there's not that much long-term research to show the benefits and psychologically it's really, really impacting people and their mm. approaches to food. So I think that a lot of times what happens is that when people come into my office, they've tried a diet that has just completely impacted their relationship with themselves in a really negative way. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's really kind of just exploring <clears throat> the trends and saying, okay, what what are the facts behind this? Um, other little things too, like coconut oil, you know, different uses for that. And just some of the trends that are out there, you know, knowing that a lot of times it's the key thing that we say is that if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is mm -hmm. because there's just no magic fix with any of this. It takes a lot of, you know, internal work to get to a point where you're feeling good in your body and, you know, the diet won't fix it. Mm -hmm. What I think is really interesting with these superfoods, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> this okay. So like how? So here's where I'm at. On one hand, there's marketing and there's industries that are profiting, prof mm -hmm. more profitable from our. Oh, I want that. I want that. I want that. Right? Like goji berries. When goji berries went through their fame, right? Ago, everything <laughs> chocolate covered goji berries, goji berry juice, like goji, goji, goji everywhere. Um, versus the coke what's interesting to me just because you brought it up they reminded me too coconut yeah. oil in an in the wisdom traditions in ayurveda coconut oil uh was available and used regularly in multiple ways because ayurveda is the kitchen table wisdom so mm -hmm. what ayurveda says is like has always done has been like what's in our cabinet and how can we use it in all the ways <laughs> for all the parts of our body so the two right. The coconut oil, like sandal, what, you know, these things, what can we cook with? What can we rub our feet with? What can we add to the, you know, the, to our hands and smell like the cardamom, thinking of the uh, emotional properties of cardamom that we use in Ayurveda. Same with sandalwood. And I think about there are in some cases, some, uh, not, I'm not saying scientific evidence. I'm saying experiential, which for me is often very, very powerful. I don't need to have a scientific study to tell me that something works awesome in my life if, I, if it's working awesome in my life. Like mm -hmm. I just see it and feel it and do more of it. And I don't do things that are um, extreme and I don't ingest a ton of things and I don't go beyond. So let me be clear. I don't want people like <laughs> going to the extreme and doing that, but like the little, little is what we teach in Ayurveda. Like try it a mm -hmm. little and see how it feels. Try it a little and see how it feels. Like I love how coconut oil feels on my skin. I love how it feels um, on my feet and on my arms and when I'm doing self-massage and then I like to cook with it. It tastes really good, especially if I don't have ghee around. Um, so I think about what are the wisdom tradition? What are some of the foods that have been around? Because goji berries also trace back 
to, I want to say Mayan or Aztec culture, like back, mm -hmm. far back. So we finding these things, these little gems that were not really in mainstream food and then we're putting it and then we take it to what we do best, which is to the full extreme, yes. give it all the properties of this is the best thing and it will change your life. Just like you said, if it's too good to be true, it probably is like, it's probably not right. Like it's, mm -hmm. it's, it's not going to do the thing. It is too good to be true. And yet how do we in our own daily life experiment with some wisdom from our cultures and through the ages that may bring health benefits and or emotional benefits. So I'm always thinking about those kind of dancing with each other, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And that's such an amazing point. And that's what it is, is that, yeah, with the coconut oil, people are adding spoonfuls of it to I know. <laughs> multiple meals per day. And that's what it is. But yes, in moderation, in a balance, right. there is a place for it. There's a place for everything. There's a place for potato chips. You know, oh <laughs> yeah. Don't get me started on my chips. I talked about it all last week on our nourish call. Yeah. How did you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's perfect. Love my chips. And that's what it is that, yeah, we, like you said, we take it to the extreme and there is, there's no superfood. There's mm -hmm. getting a balance of nutrients that mm -hmm. makes, that make you feel good. Mm -hmm. um, but knowing that every food does fit, it's just that, yes, it's more about, okay, we said this food is good. So now we're eating it at all meals, or we said this food is bad and now we're completely cutting it out. Um, that is, that's a big, big issue that we're having in our mm -hmm. culture right now. Um, and do you eat bread? My final question before we talk about the retreat, do you eat bread? Oh, Pleasance, you know the answer to that. I Indeed, do. I do. Indeed. <laughs> There's nothing I don't eat. Um, yeah, bread is great. Bread is wonderful. Bread is energy and it's mm -hmm. delicious. So mm -hmm. why does it get so much hate? Why do people hate it? Oh, because carbohydrates have gotten a bad name mm -hmm. over the years. You know, everyone's kind of doing the low carbohydrate right mm -hmm. now and Gluten-free. Exactly. Um, and so, and I think also because people love bread so much and they find that it's hard to get out of their diet, that now there's even like more of an allure and more of a conversation around it. But, oh my gosh, yeah, it's such a, it's such a great carbohydrate to have. There's so many benefits of eating it. And so I just want to say, you know, like maybe save the bread, you know, and mm -hmm. We can, so does we can that start. mean eat a loaf a day, Al? You know, not <laughs> entirely. Yeah. So carbohydrates, they and all foods have a role in the diet to nourish mm -hmm. our bodies. Mm -hmm. If you eat too much of anything, it can cause mm -hmm. negative impacts. Mm -hmm. I, you know, if you eat too many carrots, it can mm -hmm. turn your skin mm -hmm. or oh, the kale. So. Yeah, it was pulling stuff. It was pulling the enamel off people's teeth because they oh were eating it so I much. It. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So everything, we need a whole balance of nutrients to make sure that our bodies are working properly. Mm -hmm. And that includes eating everything in a way that makes you feel good. Plus, you know, if people are eating a loaf of bread, they probably won't feel physically yes, right. as good as if they're getting it in balance. So that's really too where it comes back to the intuitive eating where pay attention to how this makes you feel when you yeah. eat it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I just kind of was making fun of gluten-free, but I don't mean it. People have still, there are, here's the deal. This is a, one of those other science and wisdom things that I dance with that <clears throat> this is my perspective. And I just want to, I want to open people's minds up a little bit about this. There are people who take the test and are clearly have, um, an unhealthy reaction. It doesn't make them yes. feel good to gluten. Correct. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Okay, there are people who've taken the test and it is not, science is not proving that they have celiac. However, when they eat gluten, they have noticed, they have experimented in their own life that when they eat um, gluten, they feel more moody, they feel more bloated, mm -hmm. and they don't feel well. And so I have family members who um, are, are experiential gluten-free because it doesn't feel good. They noticed that they were more moody, they yes. were crying, they were stomach aches. I have other family members who um, are not so open to those family members because the blood test didn't come back. And this is an area where I'm not okay with science when the human is saying it's not for me. Mm -hmm. And the science is saying something different. And we live in a world where people value science over our own internal intuition and wisdom. And I'm not okay with that because my cousin who doesn't feel good on it should be allowed to decide she wants to be gluten-free so she can feel better in her emotions. Right. Absolutely. And I just want to point out for people listening that if you shame or blame someone else because the science isn't backing it up or for yourself, like I'd love for us to open that conversation and just let people, let them live their lives. Stop trying to prove that they have it or they don't like it's none of your business. If they feel better, let, let them feel better. <laughs> yep. Absolutely. And that's really what it is. Like, are you choosing your foods because of shoulds and shouldn'ts and yeah. trends? Or is it because you're taking care of yourself and listening yeah. to your body's cues? And so that's what I try to differentiate when someone's coming in to work with me is that, okay, they cut carbs out of their diet and they feel horrible because of it. Right. Okay. Well, let's reframe that and right. get back on yeah. track. Or yeah. they cut gluten out and it made them feel so, so much better. I had, I have a great example of that where I had a client who nothing was showing up for her. She had really bad arthritis and pains in her hands for years and years and years. And we met and we worked together and two weeks she cut gluten out and no more pain in her hands. And so it's, mm -hmm. it just depends on the person, you know? And so that really kind of brings it back to that individualizing the experience. Mm -hmm. And that's what I think the problem is with our culture is that the diet industry is very much like one size fits all mm -hmm. where this is what is going to work for you because it worked for me. And so try it and mm -hmm. you're going to get all these amazing results. And um, yeah. it's just not the case for everyone. It needs to be individualized hundred percent. Yeah. I just, I just, it really hurts me when my family <clears throat> or when I hear other people, if I'll be at a conference or something and someone will turn to someone in the buffet line and be like, Oh, are you, are you have celiac? You know, like, oh, this gluten-free thing is so ridiculous now. Everyone thinks they should be gluten-free. And again, any time that we're taking away from people using their own intuition to live their life, I'm like not okay with that. So mm -hmm. I just want people to uh, really own, again, just like you're saying, what feels good in your body? Do you need meat? Do you need bread? Do you need dairy? Do you, you know, all the things like ask yourself and experiment with it and have fun along the way. I mean, this, this beating ourselves up for the food. I'm so bad because I ate the cake, right? That little meme that was going around. It's like, no, you're bad if you like hit small children. You're not bad if you eat a piece of cake. Good Lord, people, you know? So I think that, I think it's slowly, I'm just seeing more and more and more of this, this pushback and this openness and this reality. It's coming out. It's coming. Mm -hmm. I hope. I, I <laughs> um, think it is. <laughs> okay, let's talk about the retreat. So, from your perspective, what are we doing? 
What do you want to, yeah. what do you want to do that weekend? <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, I'm very excited. Um, yeah. Tell so everyone I just, the details. <laughs> yeah. So our first one this year in January was amazing. Just a really great opportunity for women to come together to just feel good in about themselves, about mm-hmm. the environment that they're in. We are talking about mindful eating, paying attention to your body, doing things that feel good to you. Um, Pleasance's piece on the yoga and, you know, setting intentions and mm-hmm. just, I think, yeah, I think changing our title this year with the nourish is just such a huge piece of it. Just nourishing your body through food, through mm-hmm. life, through just everyday. nature. Yeah. Everything that feels good to you. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I think that what, here's what struck me. So one of the reasons I wanted to really partner with Al on this is because I am not, I went through the IIN integrative nutrition, holistic health coaching program eight years ago. And after about six months of working privately with one-on-one clients and health coaching was like, I do not want to talk about people's foods, food issues 24 <laughs> seven. Like this is so not my zone of genius. Like just in terms of my own expansion or like resistance to, you know, I'd always be like, let's talk about the root issue. Let's talk about the relationships. And people would say, can you just tell me what to eat? Mm-hmm. And I, that's not a good fit for me. Cause I'm not going to tell you what to eat. So, okay, cool. Let's evolve past that. However, so seven or eight years on my own, uh, and realizing this is such a core issue for so many women of healing, but I actually don't want to be the main sort of teacher guru on that. So finding Al and being able to say, okay, let's collaborate. Let's create this community where we can dig in to the food, talk about, oh, the part I love the most is when we go around and talk about our past, like our families, mm-hmm. our lineage, our families of origin, what stories we heard, uh, what our moms and our grandmothers did. I mean, my grandmother is like 89. She just moved to an apartment. Um, she's gone. She's had six kids. She was the head of a bank, the head of a school, the head of the Girl Scouts. Um, she has six grandchildren. She just beat cancer for the fourth time and like wow. this insane surgery. And literally over Rosh Hashanah, she was like, I think I need to lose five more pounds. <laughs> and I'm like, Grandma, no, you don't. Like, are you going to talk about this for your whole uh, life? Like, you are amazing. Like, just let it go. What if you just decided I'm 89 and I'm not going to worry about those Yes. I was like, it's just, heli- I mean, but it's, I really don't think, she, obviously, don't think she wants to lose it. I think it's just part of her story. It's just part of the record that's playing because if so many of our thoughts and habits are the exact same ones we had yesterday, it's literally just her brain running a show that it's always been running. So it's mm-hmm. not even, I don't even know that it's based in reality. But <laughs> when we get together on these weekends, what happens is we get a chance to hear, to share our stories, which is a very important part of healing, and to hear and hold witness, uh, bear witness to other people's stories Mm -hmm. and see what are the pieces that are working for our lives? What are the pieces that are working for our future, our, our girls, our teens, our communities? And what are the areas that we're ready to let go of, right? Like what are, what, what needs to be put to rest so that I can move forward in my life? Yeah. It's, and it's really powerful to hear other people's stories and then be able to yeah. have that open dialogue in a place yeah. that people understand where you're coming from and yeah. they can share their own insight and wisdom. And yeah, it's really, it's wonderful. 
Yeah, I think um, one thing we want to mention too is that if you are like active eating disorder or you haven't been treated, it's probably not like, again, we are not a therapeutic environment in terms of dealing immediately with acute issues, right? Or even chronic, I would say. I mean, I, I just want to be clear that it's not a therapy weekend in terms mm -hmm. of like, we are going to bring you through that. But we do have people, we did have people who came last year who had had eating disorders in the past and eating issues in their family and, and dealt with it in a number of different ways and then came to see us, to came to the weekend. Yes. Right? Mm -hmm. You say that. Okay. Anyone else you feel like it's good for or not good for that you want to mention? Yeah, I would say it's really good for just anyone who wants to learn more about themselves and learn yeah. more about what drives their choices and, you know, wait. And then anyone who wants to just find different ways to work through things that come up for them or, you know, it's really just a great time to sit and reflect and yeah. feel comfortable and relaxed. Um, but yeah, I would say it can be anyone really who's, who's open to that and interested in learning more and wants to connect with more women and just have a really great time together. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. Well, Allison, thank you so much. I can't wait to see you soon. I can't wait for yeah. our retreat. It's going to be January 11th to 13th in Maryland, about an hour away from DC, mm -hmm. uh, close to, uh, BWI. If you are not in the DC area and want to fly into Baltimore, you can come. And uh, all of that is available on the website, littleohms.com, on the retreat tab. Um, Allison, I want to honor and appreciate everything that you do with your clients, with your work, with your writing. You do a lot of um, TV. I see, you, I see a lot of TV clips. <laughs> so you're out there really spreading your message and helping people feel better about their bodies and their lives and their relationship to food. And I think that that's extremely important right now in our society. So thank you very much for doing your work. Thank you, Pleasance. I really appreciate that. And I love it and hope that it does make a difference. So mm. thanks. Yay. Okay. See you soon. See you. Thank you. Bye. Bye. So glad, glad I found you. So glad for this day. So glad for this moment, right here, right now. So glad, glad it's simple. So glad we're all alright. So glad for these little things.